everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The World of Sharks, a podcast all about sharks, rays, and the ocean, brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation. I'm your host, Isla, and every episode I sit down with experts in shark science, conservation, education, and storytelling to take you on a deep dive into a different part of the wonderful world of sharks. Regular listeners of the pod will know that something we love to talk about and showcase is the sheer diversity of sharks, rays, skates, and chimeras, a group collectively known as the Chondrichthians. There are over 1,200 known species of shark and ray alone in the world, and they come in all shapes, sizes, and colors, and are each specially adapted to a huge variety of different niches. However, only a handful of species could be considered well-known. Even today, when you say the word shark, the majority of people think about a great white. And while we love white sharks on this podcast and their amazing abilities as top predators, there are tons of other species to learn about and love that deserve a shout out as well. And so we wanted to dedicate this episode to some pretty obscure species that some of you may not have heard of. And to do so, I am joined by three brilliant guests who have a serious passion for the weird and the wonderful. They are fishery scientist and deep sea shark expert, Dr. Britt Fenucci, shark scientist and climate research manager, Abel Gong, and shark scientist and educator, Vicky Vasquez. Britt grew up in Canada, but completed her PhD at the Victoria University of Wellington in New Zealand, studying the ecology of deep sea chondrichthians in the region. Her research described the life histories of a poorly studied species caught as bycatch in deep sea fisheries, including the prickly dogfish, long-nosed spookfish, and black ghost shark. She is now a fishery scientist with the National Institute of Water and Atmospheric Research and is chair of the Deep Water Chondrichthians Working Group for the IUCN Species Survival Commission Shark Specialist Group. Abel received their bachelor's and master's degrees from the University of San Diego, where they studied the migration patterns and behavior of the California bat ray and shovel-nosed guitarfish, a species you might know a little bit more about by the end of this episode. They are also a fantastic science communicator and are incredibly active in outreach. You can see Abel on National Geographic's Sharks That Eat Everything and also listen to their own podcast, the LGBTQ Plus Stemcast, which interviews LGBTQ Plus scientists from a variety of different fields and from all, all over the world. They also regularly plan and participate in events with minorities in shark sciences or MISS. And last but very much not least, Vicky received her Bachelor of Science from UC Davis in California, a master's degree from the Pacific Shark Research Center at Moss Marine Landing Laboratories. Her master's looked at the spatial and temporal distribution of soup fin sharks in San Francisco Bay. Her research interests now are focused on deep sea shark species. Her work achievements include the discovery of the ninja lantern shark and being part of the first research team to ever tag a goblin shark, which she talks a little bit about in this episode. Vicky is also an experienced communicator and educator and has made several appearances on Discovery Shark Week. And she has also written for the likes of Beyond Blue magazine and Southern Fried Science. This month, 
I believe actually this Saturday after the podcast comes out, we'll see the launch of a non-profit Vicky has co-founded, Rogue Shark Lab, which is working to bring its brand of shark science to the classroom. As always, I will leave links to everything in the show notes. Please go and follow each of our guests and check out their jawsome work. They're just amazing scientists and science communicators. And I am so excited that we have an episode with them because it's just so much fun. In this episode, we find out how our guests got into the world of sharks, take some little detours such as the strange effects of seasickness medication and white shark energy, which I personally think would make a great band name. And of course, we talk about some weird, obscure, but very wonderful species. We kind of designed this as a fun little competition, something a bit different for the podcast. So each one of us in this episode is going to bring a different species to the table. And you, our lovely listeners, can vote for which one is your favourite by heading over to at Save Our Seas Foundation on Instagram. This is such a funny and informative episode and I had so much fun chatting to Britt, Vicky and Abel. And I know you'll enjoy it too. So without further ado, let's dive into our episode. Alrighty, so hello, Vicky, Britt and Abel, and welcome to the World of Sharks podcast. Everyone, thanks for having us. No, thank you all so much for being on. I am so thrilled to have you guys here and to be able to talk about weird and obscure species. I've been looking forward to this episode since we planned it a couple of months ago and we are navigating some pretty serious time zones. So we have New Zealand and we also have the US and Scotland. So I'm very, very happy that we managed to make this happen. But to kick off the podcast and to get to know you guys a little bit better, listeners will be really familiar with this. We like to start every podcast with the same question. And that question is, I know it's really hard when you're a marini type person um, to find uh, experience with the ocean that kind of stands out for you. But is there one that is particularly memorable or one that, you know, really stands out in your brain when you think of any experiences that you've had in the ocean? So, Britt, if I come to you first. Um, yeah, and then the, the first um, kind of memory that popped to my head when you asked me that um, was when I was about 12 years old um that would have been actually the first time i'd seen the ocean i grew up nowhere near the ocean um so yeah my my family we went to uh cape cod for i think it was i think it was a family wedding at the time and um it was middle of the summer and it was whale watching season you know i grew up reading about whales never seen one really wanted to go um no one in my family had any interest in going with me so my mom and dad basically walked me up to the boat and said okay go see what happens um on you go <laughs> left me on fun. the boat by myself <laughs> on you go yep on you go yep and I just remember having an absolute blast and being able to see these animals that I'd read about my whole life actually there there's humpback whales there was we saw fin whale and I think we saw a sea whale as well um and heaps of dolphins um so yeah that was just kind of my first introduction to the ocean really and yeah it was amazing loved it even though it was a cetaceans I'll take it 
I I started out life as a marine mammal scientist, so that's totally fine. Um, how did your family react if they didn't come on the boat with you and then you came back and you were like, well, I saw all of these whales and it was just amazing. Were they were they like, oh, I should have come with you or <laughs> were they not bothered? <laughs> uh no i think it's more like yeah cool okay i'm i'm yeah i'm quite different from the rest of my family I and mean, my brothers i remember we went to universal studios when i was about six i would have been about four and at the time they had like a jaws ride you go around the boat and this animatronic shark jumps out from time to time um my brother was so petrified of that um that ride when we got home i remember he refused to have baths for ages because he expected that the shark was going to pop up in the bathtub. Um, so he's always been iffy around water, I think, since then. Um, yeah, no one else has really been kind of, you know, into nature and exploring. So by all means, they're like, yeah, cool. That's great. Great. Again, you're really they're, you're completely supportive of what I do now. But um, yeah, it's not exactly their cup of tea. And that ride clearly didn't put you off, though. <laughs> <laughs> No, not at all. Abel, how about you? What's your kind of most memorable ocean experience? So, I'm gonna, pro- I'm gonna pivot and go with something that absolutely terrible happened to me <laughs> in the ocean, because it's so memorable to me. Um, gonna go for a little more creative answer. Cool, we like that. <laughs> in undergrad, we I took this oceanography, geological oceanography class. And within this class, there is a um, a field trip, an overnight field trip where we do um, uh, geological surveys off the coast of San Diego, um, which is great, wonderful, like absolutely such a cool opportunity as as a as an undergrad to go on a boat and go on a research cruise uh, for for like six hours. Um, the only problem is I get really seasick. <laughs> um on boats and on planes and like everything i just get really motion sick so this was like i was like "Mm, i don't know about this one and so i told my professor and she was like oh no it's okay you'll be fine we're just we're just gonna be like three miles off the coast like you'll it'll be great like uh just take some medicine blah 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 and i was like okay like i have to do this for a grade anyway so um so I was on the night shift, so it was from like 6 p.m. to 12 a.m. Um, and there was a leg just before us that went from, I think, like 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. or something like that. And all my friends were on that the leg before me, and I was on this one night leg, and I was like, okay, whatever. Um, and so we, as we're changing shifts, like, everybody's like so excited they were like oh my god the water was so like so nice like it wasn't rocking at all absolutely no like waves and we found so much stuff like uh we did a bunch of sediment cores and things like that and i was like wow great wonderful on my leg uh we had a bunch of students from who came from bakersfield which is about like four three or four hours away from san diego uh, inland um who came with us as well. Um, So on my leg, we get on the boat, have this gorgeous sunset. I'm like, wow, this is the most beautiful thing ever. And then we go inside to eat dinner. And that's when I start feeling a little bit sick. So I'm like, okay, whatever. And then once I get out from eating, I'm like, okay, 
feeling a little sick. Uh, so my friend sees me like nodding off on like, I'm like sitting on a cooler nod nodding off and she's like, oh, here. She like pulls up a chair. She's like, here, uh, just sleep here. And I'm like, but I want to help do stuff. We just like anchored down. Like I want to help then do stuff. And she's like, no, it's okay. Just, just lie down for a little bit. Sit down. So I sit down, conk out. I wake up and the boat is just rocking and rocking. And I'm like, what is going on? And I see my friend makes eye contact with me from across the boat. She runs over. She's like, go back to sleep now. And the last memory I have is seeing a poor student from Bakersfield just hurling off the side of the boat, like just like heaving and yeah, puking. And so I'm glad that I took my medicine that day. Very memorable experience with me. I like to say it's the most expensive nap that I have ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. I thought that story was going to end differently there. I'm so glad that you managed to like sleep through it. <laughs> oh yeah, I slept through the whole thing. I did not help one single bit. <laughs> but I mean, if you'd been awake and you were also healing, I guess you also wouldn't be too helpful so no, I'm, I'm just glad that you had a nice and a nice napping experience and it wasn't you the one that was healing off the side but as someone who also gets seasick and I used to be able to board a ferry on a flat calm day and still manage to get sick I, I really I, I feel you I really understand <laughs> how that feels oh man well do you find the pills help oh yeah definitely I um took a bunch of Dramamine with me on my trip recently and went snorkeling and was like on a boat, like a really din dingy looking boat. And I was perfectly fine. Good, good. Because I also have a magic pill that works and I never feel seasick when I have it. Um, but I do know, I do have friends that unfortunately the pills don't work for them and they still, they still get it. I know, I know. I was just gonna say, I find for myself, the pills don't work. I have to move up to the patches. I mean, I go out to sea for a month at a time, but we've got easy at the scopodone patches. Those do wonders. Um, those work quite well, but I thought, I've been told that there's some, uh, some quite severe side effects that some people suffer and they can't stand them. I don't get those, but. Um, oh, really? I've never used the patches, but I guess, I guess you're out on some pretty rough seas at times yeah it's pretty bumpy but yeah honestly like naps are the best thing i find i find that's that's probably the best um mitigation strategy if i feel sick i go lie down for 20 minutes and then get back up it's like yeah, that constant like recharging of your brain so yeah Ava, you you, uh, you took the right course there <laughs> that inspired you to go out in the water more you're like let's do it again <laughs> yeah i do i'd do it again and i'd take a nap again <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, I just want to double check on that part. <laughs> um, but at least you have the magic pill. The magic pill works. Um, but Vicky, how about you? Does your most memorable experience involve seasickness or rough seas? No. Um, but 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 I will say that um, on one uh, time that I was shooting for Shark Week, I took a scopolamine patch because it was after. COVID, so I hadn't been on both for so long that I thought I would take one just to be sure. And it was like an easy, like really tropical water. And the reason I bring it up is because I had double vision and got super seasick from the double vision, which is a potential side effect of scopolamine. 
which you can get two different ways. One, you can get it if you just get it on your fingers and rub your eyes. And the other way is if you just have bad luck like I did. And so I had it in both eyes. I couldn't wait for it to like wear off like you would do if you had actually rubbed it into your eye. And so, um, so my point is like, I was trying to be like, yeah, I'm like in a beautiful tropical place with like a shark or something. And I was just like, I was trying not to throw up. Oh man. The thing that was meant to help you didn't help. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just thought it was good karma because it was, it was a show where we're looking for like a, a shark that like attacked somebody. So that's what you get for playing into bad, bad tropes of sharks. <laughs> Everyone learn a lesson. Don't do that. Vicky, did you have like, um, did you find you were very freely being truthful and honest too when you were on the patch? Because the, the scopolamine, from my understanding of it, is that that is the same drug that was used in like truth serums when they're trying to get information out of people. And again, I've been told too that t- people tend to be a little more honest when they're on the um, fat patch. Again, I don't think I have that issue because I don't have any of the other, um, the other, other, I don't, I don't get the, you know, the, the uh, double vision or when um, you get dry throats and so weird, weird side effects. Uh, I totally forgot about that. You could be right. And now I have to re-examine that trick. <laughs> so you know what I'll be doing? when we're done here I'm just gonna be like oh what did I say <laughs> <laughs> the worst hangover ever <laughs> I mean people tend to get quite loopy when they're hanging out at sea too much anyway so I could just oh yeah yeah <laughs> could also be that too <laughs> Day- yeah days at sea definitely can be weird especially when you can't see shoreline and you kind of get like a little disoriented but uh that is something that I was um, am familiar with and is a great segue to the story because I grew up fishing. So I uh, fishing and the ocean always felt very uh, secondhand to me. Uh, so I actually growing up was trying to make it a point not to do anything oceany for a career. Um, I've always liked animal behavior. And the reason I got uh turned back into ocean work was from a very memorable fishing trip to Guadalupe Island, which fishermen know as a great place for tuna. And everybody in Shark Week knows as a great place for like 50 Shark Week shows on Great White Shark. And that is what ate my tuna. I was about to have what I like to call the like independent woman moment on the boat because it was like, my dad, five dudes, like I had like a bunch of dudes his age were on this boat for like five days. And I was about to catch the jackpot fish. So when you think about being out to sea, whether it's for research or a trip like this, you get a little stir crazy. So like the idea of like beating everybody became even more monumental. So the reason I give you all that backstory was because of how much it meant to me when that white shark ate the fish that I'd been fighting for like an hour. Like there was so much reason. Yeah. Why all of this story should be about how much I was bummed to lose that winning fish. And it is not. I was 
so impressed with that great white shark and it being opposite of all the great white shark's stereotypical behavior. It made no fancy effort to demolish half the body of this tuna, everything but the head, which is just skull. So smart move on the part of that white shark. Bring it up thinking like, cool, this thing's still heavy. I still got a fish. I still saved it. And then when I look at it, the reason it's so heavy is because, yeah, like just a tuna head, if you would have caught like a bigger animal, if the tuna head itself is heavy, like that was a big fish I would have caught. And that thing was still breathing. And so when I realized that a white shark with such little effort could take out the entire nervous system of this tuna without the tuna with, without the tuna's brain realizing it. And if you think about that event happened, you know, you know, at, at the nicest 15 minutes before I had it up on the deck of the boat, you know, cause I still had to pull it in and it was still breathing for air. I, I, I was completely shocked, super confused. And, and at that point, very, very impressed with what the true power of those animals are and how efficient they are at trying to never use it because that's the point right you know you don't want to use all your behavior we see it used all the time on shark week because like that's the thing that impresses us but those animals spend their entire time trying not to use that full amount of energy because they can do super cool stuff like that to a tuna barely using any of it so that is what switched my interest nice nice that's a very cool story i mean um you didn't hold it against the shark, obviously. Today, we do have a little a little task to do, which is to talk about weird and obscure species. And I know on Shark Week, we do talk about weird and obscure species a little bit more now, but there is a lot of attention on sort of the big main ones, so the white sharks, the hammerheads, and I wanted to talk about some lesser known species. Um, and we're going to do things a little bit differently to how we normally do it on the podcast. And each one of us is going to bring a species to the table. And our lovely listeners are going to listen to these and then vote on what their favourite one is. I haven't decided what the winner is going to win yet. <laughs> but there may be a little prize coming for you. But either way, we're going to have some fun and we're going to talk about some shark species and also tie that in with a little bit of your work as well. So, Vicky, I'll come to you first if you want to present your species, which I know you've been studying in Tokyo. And I'm excited to hear what you've learned about this species because I love this one to pieces it's one of my favorite shark species out there so i'm very excited well it's almost kind of nothing <laughs> ah, <laughs> sorry <laughs> the best part of science <laughs> yeah studying deep sea sharks is incredibly difficult and the best way that i can lead into this study with this shark is how i got into my uh, program in my master's uh, with uh, a professor named Dr. David Ebert. So I came in with all that white shark energy, which he was not interested in. And he had a really good point uh, because at that point, um, my uh, perspective was 
that people weren't letting me into a door and I wanted to get into that door. But his question was, why are you so obsessed with studying specifically great white sharks? And does it need to be that species? If you look at their conservation measures, if you look at the research that's been done on them thus far, so far compared to other species, uh, why them instead of these other species that are much more lacking? So the species that I picked today is a lambophore. That's the group that great white sharks are in. And it is the goblin shark. And so this is what you can picture what would happen to a great white shark if it lived in the deep sea. It would literally become a goblin shark. And I loved getting more into learning about the deep sea and animals like this because there's so many things about the deep sea and deep sea sharks that are fascinating. And the fact that people aren't as obsessed with them as they are with something like a great white shark got me uh, more and more curious as to why that is. And if you look at it from the point of a researcher, you start to realize that these animals are grossly understudied. So how can somebody become engaged uh, with an animal that they want to research when uh, they can barely even get any video or pictures of it? All of our data and information from goblin sharks is basically a, his a history of human fisheries. So when we look at how deep a goblin shark goes, uh, I think the maximum is, uh, let's see, I wrote it down. Uh, because it's 1,300 meters is easy for me to say off the top of my head, but 4,265 feet, which might help uh, listeners if they're American, that uh, might give you a little bit more perspective, but that's really just where some human was able to reach them from most likely some sort of fishing event. Nobody was going in with like um, a remote underwater you know, vehicle or video or something else. So um, the reason I wanted to pick these is because even the things we do know is super cool and it's just from finding stuff out on accident. So we know that these guys have like the fastest uh, protruding jaw than any other shark, which is super rad. The coolest thing that I ever learned about goblin sharks is that they have this like ligament. It's like, a, it's basically like a joint uh, people essentially have the same thing. Uh, so if you're listening, touch your two front teeth, go up the middle and feel that weird little thing that's kind of ho holding on between your uh, like lip and your gums. And that same thing on a goblin shark is thick. Like almost think of it like your actual finger or something. And the entire goal of it is to make sure when that goblin shark is using its jaw the way it's supposed to, that it also doesn't rip completely out of its face when it's happening. And yeah, and that was just so cool to learn from like the, a Japanese uh, researcher who was studying that jaw velocity. And It's so yeah. cool. And I think it's a GIF if anyone wants to search for it. <laughs> I believe yeah, I've used I it before. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. What What is happening is somehow the shark is taking its jaws. And again, think of like a slingshot that's going forward. But somehow you're also 
sucking in kind of. So, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a terrible day to be a tiny fish in the dark. <laughs> Goblin sharks behind you. But yeah, supposedly that it's a double, double mechanism. You, if you, if you want to think about it a little bit easier, you can think of something like a wabagong shark. That's, that's really using a lot more of that suction. I've seen it happen uh, with a goblin shark, but it just happens so fast. We had a goblin shark in a, in a tank, uh, a paper that I'll be coming out with later this year. Uh, I was part of the team to tag a goblin shark for the first time, which was amazing. And it was really special. And that's how I got to talk to that professor because he was there with us and wanted to, to test out this um, uh, job uh, uh, mechanism again and, you know, do some uh, recording. So I saw it happen again. Uh, I mean, by again, I mean, like I saw videos of it before I went in person. I saw it in person and it was like seeing nothing happen or like a magic trick because it's so quick to the naked eye that I, it's hard to understand what's happening. And the shark is so lethargic seeming um, that I assumed it wasn't in good condition, but that's actually, you know, uh, a, a great example of what it's like to live in the deep sea. You're, you're in a very, um, uh, I almost want to say like static environment, you know, like you, you don't have the waves and the currents like you do in the coast. Nothing's really pushing your body, kind of like being in space. So they can just go very slow and sluggish in the water, except for that crazy job. <laughs> yeah, someone said to me it kind of, it works out, um, it works out better to be, because everyone thinks like super predators are these like really fast, super muscular, but in the deep sea, you kind of need to be flabby. <laughs> to to get on and be a good predator yeah um, and so that's actually why I, I mentioned in the beginning mm. uh which sounds a little you know self-deprecating that we found out nothing it's actually because when we were going about this research we don't know if we're going to find a baby goblin shark a full-size goblin shark so most times when somebody goes about a tagging project they're uh coming up with tags that are um uh, proportional to the size of the animal that they're going to catch. And so if you don't know if you're talking about three feet or 14 feet, that makes things a lot difficult. And when you're also thinking about a very flabby, soft body, and we're talking about satellite tags, we were also very, very concerned about, you know, damaging the sharks. Because when you, if you look at footage of like, well, how do you put on a satellite tag for a great white shark? Well, you're drilling into the shark's dorsal fins because they're so tough that might sound really like aggressive to someone who's not uh used to that type of research but that's how tough their bodies are um because we weren't sure what flabby really meant in in, in real life practice um our our, our uh, satellite tags had a very short time so there's something that you can do uh where you use a special type of metal that's corrosive um, to the salt water. So you know that it'll detach the whole thing. <clears throat> so really what we were doing was trying to see, you know, like, can we tag one of these animals successfully? Is the entire approach possible? Um, and so in that sense, it was a, it was a complete success, but what we didn't want to do is, is do, do anything, um, where uh, we were going too long-term, which would have been great 
data-wise, but would have been perhaps too much of a risk for um, the animal safety. And then at that point, there's no point with any of the data you have because you don't know if that's a natural behavior that you're looking at or just um, the, the behavior of a, an animal with a giant battery pack on it. I think the hardest thing with deep sea sharks and why I'm so stoked that you're doing this is because with if you're just looking at fisheries, then uh, that's the cheapest way to go about it. But if you really want to get fun with it, it starts to get a lot more expensive. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I, if if I was a billionaire, <laughs> which I don't think I'm going to be anytime soon, I would definitely be funneling all kinds of funding into deep sea shark research. I just, I just love them. I just find them utterly fascinating. Don't limit yourself. You could still be a billionaire one of these days. <laughs> In in this field, <laughs> it could still happen. Don't limit it. <laughs> you never know. I'm a, I'm a marine social scientist, so I, I'm not entirely convinced you're right on that, but I'll stay hopeful. And if I do, I'll be in touch <laughs> for sure. But as you get into the deep sea, things get absolutely wild. And the goblin shark is a perfect example of that. Like, I would highly recommend listeners, as they're listening along, to Google these species and just have a look at what it looks like. Just pretend you're a fish in the deep, dark, deep sea, and that thing comes up behind you. Um, yeah, they're pretty spectacular. And they're also pink, are they not? Yes, <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> I was just going to jump in and say that um, the name goblin shark, it's because of the Japanese like goblins, like the tengus of Japanese mythology, not because of they look ugly or anything. <laughs> I mean, tengus are also pretty ugly if you Google them too. But the, they they got they they have these really large noses, like like the gar- goblin sharks. Interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. That's very cool. Yeah, you, you just reminded me. I was I was taught goblin shark in Japanese is tengu zame because of that that goblin guy. That makes sense now. But but yeah, so weird tengu zame faces. And then, oh, Zame, I think it's shark in Japanese. And then, yeah, pink, because you the skin's basically translucent and you can see their blood vessels, which is why their fins are blue. So I love watching kids' faces when you tell them about, like, a giant shark that's pink and blue. The shark just sounds fake. <laughs> yeah, it does. But, they, but they, don't, they don't look real. Like, when you see pictures of them, they look like someone's made it up. Um, yeah, amazing. So we have a spooky deep sea predator with slingshot jaws that's pink and blue. This is our first candidate. Britt, what shark are you bringing to the table? So the shark that I chose, um, I decided to scan through my photos um, to figure out which species I actually saw last. Um, And after scanning through about 300 photos of my dogs. um, But yeah, a few months ago, um, I was at the museum. here with the, the fisheries team um, and we're looking at uh, this one shark which I had been promised for the better part of a decade. Um, it was uh, caught in the fisheries and brought back by an observer ages ago and I know it's been around and the the curator at the museum told me about it and he's like hey we're gonna bring it out because very very uncommon shark they're, they're going to keep it put it in the collections and like come take a look at it and 
I got that conversation about once a year for the past 10 years and something always came up last minute and they could never bring it out. Um, so it kind of became a running joke that this shark didn't actually exist in their freezer. Um, and yeah, I got another message a couple months ago and they're like, hey, we're finally bringing out this shark. Come and have a look at it. And I just wrote back. I'm like, yeah, right. Like I'm over this. It doesn't actually exist. And they're like, no, 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 come in, come in, come in. Um, so I did. And to my surprise, the shark was actually there. Um, and honest God, it was worth the wait. Um, this shark is, and I'm going to probably butcher the taxonomic name, um, but yeah, that's just what it is. Um, it's Gymnodelatius albicata. Um, it's a white-tailed dogfish. Um, it's a beautiful little shark. Um, there's probably a dozen records ever known of this shark. Um, it's a sleeper shark. So it's a relative of your, uh, like your Greenland sharks, um, but in a much smaller, smaller size. Um, they only get to maybe about a meter in length. So this one itself was um, a mature female and she was probably as long as my arm. So very, very small, but honestly, about an absolute stunning animal. They're kind of dark brownish color. And then um, someone, it, it looks like someone's taken a paintbrush and just thrown on blabs of black paint all over their bodies. Um, white-tailed dogfish, they've got a white tail, but then this black bar alongside there. Beautiful, beautiful little shark. Um, definitely go Google it. Um, I know there's a few images out there. Um, it's a shark we see, most records have come from New Zealand, Australia. There's a couple of records that dabble along kind of just above um, well, the Southern Ocean. So not quite Antarctica, but in really, really cold waters. Um, we know virtually nothing about it. It's um, suspected to be mesopelagic. So there's a lot of kind of mesopelagic sharks out there that we actually, we have very few records of because of just where they they live. Um, and as Vicky mentioned, a lot of what we know about deep water sharks comes from fisheries. Um, so these animals just aren't interacting with the fisheries there. Um, and the few records that we have tend to come in from, um, some despite being a deep water species, um, we get records from our tuna longline fisheries, so our more shallow water fisheries. Um, but we do know that this species is generally caught at um, 150 to 500 meters. Um, so not deep, 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 but still, you know, kind of a deep water shark. Um, what else can I say about it? Um, yeah, we again, we don't have many records, but... Um, we, ha we do know that um, they are very fecund, so they produce a lot of pups. Um, there was one um, gravid female, one pregnant female that was caught and it had 59 pups wow. inside, which is one of the largest counts for, for a shark. Um, That's insane. Which is incredible. And again, like this is like, you know, a meter shark and it's <sighs> got 60 pups in it. It's a lot. Um, for for a little shark yeah because you'd think from like if it's from the sleeper shark family you'd think i automatically think just like really slow to reproduce less fecund like that sort of thing but 59's crazy it's it's quite it's yeah it's it's one of the highest fecundities that we know of for sharks out there so there's there's a lot of like obscure little facts that we know about it despite the fact that we know very little about it um the other neat thing too is that it has heterodonty so it's its top teeth are different from its bottom teeth 
um it's uh it's top teeth kind of they're more like pin pin shaped i guess is you know kind of one way you could put it and then it's bottom teeth they're more your stereotypical kind of jagged teeth kind of look like your cookie cutter shark teeth um which is another neat little factor um probably has something to do with their eating um i can say the, the the animal that was brought out um her stomach was full of squids um which is not surprising a lot of sharks eat squids but the neat thing about that is that that one particular uh, squid species um i know nothing about squids i had to rely on some squid nerds here for some for more information but that squid itself is apparently quite a rare squid as well and it's only been found in one place in kind of the waters between new zealand and antarctica um so it's yeah we suspect that these sharks yeah we, we do know that you know they're from kind of southern ocean but these species why we might not see them is that they just exist in areas that don't that are not you know they don't belong to any country so they're out in the open ocean um and yeah they're just just neat little shark it's it's fast becoming my favorite shark here but um yeah so that's that's the shark i'm bringing to the table i can't give you much more information about it because literally we don't have any more information about it i think that's the like that is a cool thing in itself is that because like we live in a world where like you can google something and you'll find out the answer to it like in in within like a millisecond but there's sharks that we still know relatively not there's still so much to discover about these species there's probably even well there is species that are just drifting around in the deep sea or in the open ocean that we don't even know about which i think is just amazing oh totally we're describing new species all the time still um and so many species are only known from you know one or two specimens that we just happen to stumble across at the right place at the right time there's just so much out there and that's i think vicky said the same thing you know there's just so much we don't know about deep water sharks um oh yeah there's so much we can learn we know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm I, frantically working on a way to now become a billionaire so I can just fund, fund all this research and find out why these animals do these things. <laughs> it'd be nice. It'd be nice to answer these questions with certainty. But yeah, there's still we're all we're all waiting for you to become a billionaire. We want we want your funding. <laughs> I believe in you. It'll happen. Yes. Yes. That's the. That's a spirit I need to take forwards. Yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. the three of us first. I'll try my best and I'll try not to sell my soul at the same time. Thank you. You're, you're very welcome. But of course, it's not just deep sea sharks that we don't know that much about. There's species of shark, even in shallow waters, that we know relatively little about. Um, and Abel, your species is one that I know very little about and I'm very excited to learn more about it from you and I know that you studied this one for your master's thesis so take the floor. I wish I had like a uh, like a an 80s rock electric guitar solo to like segue me in like a so that I could be like oh no we're presenting <laughs> Representing the shovel nose guitar fish, yeah, I can um, put that in in post if you like. <laughs> oh, perfect! Or you can just keep my acapella uh, rendition in. <laughs> it was perfect. 
<laughs> so the shovelnose guitarfish is a um, shallow shark ray something in between like hybrid yeah, thing it's like yeah. if you put like a shark and a ray like together <laughs> like it's a flat we call i guess it's it's a flat shark nobody really like has defined what it is but it's its own thing i guess um but yeah guitarfish are its own thing um shovelnose guitarfish are found um as far north as san francisco um on the pacific coast of the united states um all the way down into mexico baja california um so like the northern part of mexico that area and they're just yeah i just sh guitarfish in general are just very strangely shaped which fascinates me the most and makes them just like very odd they're like a hybrid of a shark and a ray um like very aptly named in my opinion because i think like from the head to like the like the front part of its body looks like the body of a, a guitar and then the like the mid part of its body to the tail kind of looks like the neck and the, the head of a guitar so you could like looks like you could actually play it <laughs> um uh and i would really like a guitar shape like a guitar fish if i could like make my own <laughs> but um yeah so that'd be very cool it would be really very, cool very yeah cool. um so i guess i'll start off by uh explaining a little bit of my research so i had a um a six-year data set that i was analyzing of um 12 different guitar fish uh, shovel nose guitar fish that were showing up every summer in san diego and we were trying to figure out oh like why are they showing up over and over again in San Diego and where are they going throughout the year? Because uh, we don't know. We don't really know much about these sharks except that um, people see them snorkeling while they're snorkeling all the time and they're just like laying there and they're not doing anything. And also people in Mexico catch them to like eat. Um, and so there's a lot of fisheries data about them. And there's a lot of like abundance data about them. So we knew that like these sharks like to be like together um, in the summertime, like because there was more catch in the summertime and certain locations and things like that. And so I set out on my little journey of my master's trying to figure this out. And what um, is hypothesized or is hypothesized in my thesis and soon to be publication, hopefully by the end of this year, um, is that these uh, that these uh, guitar fish, these shovelnose guitar fish, are possibly using this area of San Diego as some sort of reproduction ground, whether that's for mating or for gestation. Uh, probably not pupping because we don't see any babies uh, in that area, but we do see a few males here and there, so it's possible that they're mating in these in these like in this area or just resting um taking advantage of this warm water in san diego to sort of speed up their um, embryonic growth while they're while they're pregnant um which a lot of sharks and rays do do in this in this specific area of san diego so it's really up to interpretation um the shovel nose guitar fish comes in a couple of different colors uh there's some light brown ones there's some dark brown ones 
Um, sometimes they're even sort of modeled. Um, and yeah, I just think that guitar fish in general don't really get spoken on a whole lot. There's not a whole lot that we know specifically about the shovelnose guitar fish, even though they're incredibly accessible to like look at. Um, like tons of people I feel like who I've talked to who like surf or who swim in the San Diego area are like, oh yeah, I saw a shovelnose guitar fish. Can you tell me anything about them? And I give them like You're like, yes, yes I can. <laughs> maybe two pieces of information. Um so literature's pretty pretty slim, but they're like recreationally and like just community wise, like pretty popular and in the areas where they are found. So um, that's that's the shovel-nosed guitar fish in a nutshell. Yeah, cool. Thank you for bringing that, that one up because uh, you, you're completely right. Guitar fishes, we really don't talk about all that often. And I personally think they're such a beautiful species. Like just the shape of them is so unusual. They're way bigger than I thought they were. Yeah, I thought that they were around maybe like four feet long, but Come to find out, they are actually like anywhere from like five to six ish. And that to me is a little wild because I just can't fathom it looking that big in person. I've never I've never actually seen one in, in person. I think maybe once or twice at an aquarium, but every time I'm like shocked at how big they are. You've never seen one in person? No. I I <gasps> Because I did my masters like in the pandemic, I've just like never had the chance to see one. Uh, you're still in San Diego, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go snorkeling this summer to see one. <laughs> I was like, next yes. time I'm home. Yes, you need to go. You need to go and see one for sure. And also, how is how is the shovel nose doing in terms of its conservation status? Because guitar fish is one of the most threatened groups of sharks in in the world um uh yeah they're doing okay they are near threatened i think is their icn red list status right now so they're on the better end of the guitar fish uh conservation yeah that's good that's good to know because they're you know their propensity for shallow environments tends to make them a little bit vulnerable to fisheries hey um or at least with other species but yeah, I hope you get to see one soon. My only experience of one is at Sharks International in Valencia, and there was actually a couple in the actual aquarium itself. And that's when I was like, oh, holy crap, I didn't realize they were they were so chunky. <laughs> yes, I have big plans to snorkel this summer, finally, after like my seven years living in San Diego. So, Oh my gosh, yeah, take pictures. That's a moment to finally see your study species. Um, okay, so thank you so much for presenting all of your species. I'm going to smash through mine because I'm just very, very aware of the time. I could talk to you guys all day. Um, I would like to bring to the table the Velvet Belly Lantern Shark, which is, we're going back into the deep sea. Um, as Britt said, a lot of deep sea sharks are pretty small. So this one's only 55 centimeters long maximum. Uh, they exist in the East Atlantic from right in the north from Iceland all the way down to South Africa, but they exist in deep water. So on average about 500 meters, which is around 1,640 feet. 
but they have been found in depths of over 2,000 meters or even 6,000 feet, which is incomprehensible. And again, as Vicky said, that's only the ones that have shown up on deep sea trolls. So it could be even deeper than that. Um, they're named after their dark underbelly, um, which some people say looks like velvet. Um, I'm not too convinced on that. Slightly questionable, but it is dark. That's for one thing. And the coolest thing about them is that they have these light emitting organs or photophores on their flanks and abdomen. So like all the lantern sharks do so that they can, they are in the deep sea, but there is a little bit of light so that so they can blend in from, if you're looking underneath, that's so they're kind of camouflaged against the lighter, uh, the lighter surface. But they also, the coolest thing about this species is that they actually have actual lightsabers, which I can say that because that's actually on a scientific paper that Britt kindly reminded me of just before this episode. <laughs> um, so scientists have called them lightsabers, not just me. But they are two spines on their back that they use as a form of defense that also emit bioluminescence. So they can basically turn on these lightsabers at will. And, and that is my species, which I just love. And I think they're very cool. But all of the species that we presented, I don't know how you guys are going to choose between them because, and there's, there's, there's hundreds of species of shark that are just like this, that are unknown, relatively unstudied. Some of them pretty much we know nothing about. And yeah, there's, there's just lists upon lists upon lists of these amazing, incredible species with all these different weird, weird and wonderful adaptations. And yeah. We love talking about them on this podcast. Because this is Shark Week, I had kind of one final or two final questions to ask all of you. Uh, and my first thing is, what is the one thing about sharks that you think doesn't get talked about enough? So Britt, I'll come to you first on this one. Um, sharks, rays, and chimeras. Um, the diversity, really. Um, it's not just sharks. Um, there's another 500 odd species out there for, you know, a total of over 1,200 chondrithians. So you have sharks, rays, and chimeras. Um, and as you know, we've repeated several times here. There's just so many species we know so little about, and um, only a handful of species really get the attention. Um, out there, the attention and the research and the funding, um, but there are so many disturbing species and so many species at risk too that we really need to to focus on. Absolutely, and Vicky, how about you? Um, I don't think we talk enough about how people can make everyday choices that actually help sharks, which might seem counterintuitive, but I think it's hard for people to realize how much. Uh, plastic or um, poor seafood choices have very, very huge effects. And you can be completely inland in the middle of a country, far as you think from uh, a coastal area, and you might still be having a very big impact on ocean ecosystems and specifically sharks. Even if you're doing something like eating a seafood product that you think has nothing to do with sharks, the bycatch might actually be sharks. So uh, 
yeah that would be the yeah, thing absolutely and even just the cosmetics that you buy could have shark liver oil in it or squalene so so yeah everything we do is somehow connected to sharks that's a really good one yeah and abel are you are you ready um yeah i think so i this is a conversation that goes on a lot in our in our science communities but i think it has yet to sort of be a bigger conversation with the general public about how much media affects the way that we view not just sharks but like a lot of different large predators in general um i know that like i was just having a conversation with with somebody today about how there's not a whole lot of pro shark propaganda um i say that very loosely in air quotes um there's a lot of anti-shark propaganda um and so i would really like to see more modern pieces of media i mean i think that we see that with like with the rise of baby shark a, a few like 10 years ago somewhere around there um or like a uh, shark tale that came out in like 2003 or 2002 or whenever it came out um like those pieces of media are like super great for reference like reputations of the sharks because they put these sharks in kind of like these funny like positive lights that make people less afraid of them basically like the reparations of of what jaws did to everybody's perception of sharks but yeah i think about that a lot <laughs> pro shark propaganda yeah right. what a word what a term I like that. <laughs> uh, uh if you want some you should check out a bad bunny concert people will go dressed up in shark costumes so if you look up bad bunny and like the word tiburon yeah it's, it's pretty rad oh awesome <laughs> is is there any reason for that or just is he is he a big sh- shark advocate or something? Just no. just just because. Well, that's why not? The purity <laughs> of the nonsense. Yeah, that's the best part about it. But yeah. that that's a really good one, Abel, as well. Is just just thinking about just how much impact that the media that we consume has. I mean, they're still releasing films about Megalodon. You know, the Meg Two is about to come out and probably have some major factual inaccuracies in it. But yeah, no, I think that's a that's a, a really really good one. Okay, so I could quite honestly talk to all three of you all day, um, but I'll not do that. But we do have one final question, and it's the same question that we end every podcast with, and that is, if you could be any species of shark, ray, skate, or chimera in the world, what would you be and why? I would want to be a Wabagong because my last name is Gong and I want a cool mustache. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> that is perfect. And they seem to have a pretty, like, I was writing a fact file about the tasseled Wabagong not so long ago. And I was like, these guys have a pretty ideal setup because they're just hanging around coral reefs waiting for something to drift across their path and then they just gulp it down and then just hang out for the rest of the time. Yeah. And they have a cool, they have a cool little beard. They do. I want, I, I want it. I want those little tassels. They're just so fun. <laughs> I'd be a prickly dogfish. Oxynotus. A prickly dogfish. I knew it! Yep, 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 yep. Sits at the bottom of the ocean. It's slow, it's sluggish, it looks ridiculous and is completely underestimated. Est- eh, sorry, underestimated. But it is a ferocious predator. It eats the egg cases of other sharks um which you know are abundant in some areas so it doesn't have to 
go very far to be able to gorge on food all day and it just yeah yeah i mean what what else do you what more do you want i mean no one's gonna bite it too once you've got to that (laughs) certain size they're so prickly and annoying no one's gonna eat them because they're not gonna yeah they're gonna be a pain in the butt to eat so basically your job is just to be a blob and eat all day so yeah that's that's my choice (laughs) amazing sounds pretty idyllic (laughs) (laughs) oh my wife thought she was gonna pick for like the, the yeah. shark competition. <laughs> I'll be I'll be predictable here. I wasn't gonna talk about chimeras today, so I'll be predictable with that one. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Okay. Vicky, I'll come to you next. I would be a cookie cutter shark. That way I could go up to big annoying sharks to get too much attention, like great white sharks, and then take out a shark. And then run away. And be like, Haha. <laughs> that's a that's a brilliant reason. <laughs> oh my goodness! And just imagine all these white shark researchers really confused as to why all of a sudden their study species are showing up with just lots of little cookie cutter <laughs> bites out of the side of it. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Awesome, awesome. But it's been so much fun. I could honestly chat to all of you for hours and hours and hours on end um and maybe i will do that when i'm a billionaire <laughs> yeah when i can fund your research um rooting for you <laughs> <laughs> thanks thanks um but no it's been such an absolute pleasure and it has been so much fun and we'll let our listeners decide what their favorite obscure weird species is yeah no thanks thanks for having me very cool yeah. <laughs> i'll talk This podcast was brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation. It was hosted and produced by me, Isla Hodgson. Our amazing visuals are by Jamie Silver. Our lovely logo is by Nicola Poulos. And the wonderful jingle you can hear right now is by David Knight. A enormous thank you to Vicky, Britt and Abel for taking the time out of their day to chat to us about some weird and obscure species and giving me such a laugh. It was so brilliant to have you all on and thank you so much for all your time and knowledge all of the links to their social media and to their work including vicky's new nonprofit, will be included in the show notes so make sure you go and check them out and also show them some love as well and thank you at home for listening as always if you want to get in touch if you want to suggest a question or you just want to say hi, we absolutely love hearing from you. So feel free to email Isla at SaveOurSeas.com or you can also get in touch over social media. We are at SaveOurSeas Foundation on Instagram and at SaveOurSeas on Twitter. And if you like this episode, please be sure to just drop us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really helps people to find our podcast and find out how amazing sharks are and who doesn't want that. Alrighty, have a jawsome week and we will see you next time.